From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, taxi cab, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. This is The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is standing by, our resident paranormal investigator researcher, to discuss angels. Uh, many of you may believe in angels. Uh, some of you may believe you've uh, had an encounter with an angel, you have a guardian angel, you've been saved by an angel, and so forth. So we'll uh, discuss, well, angels, <laughs> the hierarchy of angels, angels from biblical times right up to the present. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, mere moments away. Just a reminder, there is no HOA tonight, no hangout on air, my producer, Elbert will be back next week and will resume live streaming the show on YouTube. Uh, please visit strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to all of my various projects, including this radio program, uh, the conspiracy show, uh, the TV program. Uh, and yes, there will be a season four. There will be brand new episodes airing across Canada on Vision TV. Uh, and uh, the live events page also. Don't forget that at strangeplanet.ca. The live events page. Check out details on my next live event, The Bilderbergs, with special guest Daniel Estulin. He's the author of The True Story of the Bilderbergs. He's coming to town Sunday, April the 17th, at the University of Toronto, and you can order tickets online right there at the live events page or in-store at Conspiracy Culture, 1344 Bloor Street West. Uh, or by calling 416-916-1696, 416-916-1696, or online, of course, at conspiracyculture.com. The Bilderberg, Sunday, April the 17th, at the University of Toronto. Hope to see you there. Okay, let's learn about angels and how they help us in daily life. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages, and her current work focuses on interdimensional contact experiences, the afterlife, and spirit communications, psychic skills, dream work for well-being, spiritual growth, and development past and parallel lives, problem hauntings, and investigations of unusual paranormal activity. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? Well, hi, Richard. It's getting time to hit the road this spring, and I'm getting ready for a big trip out to Seattle for several weeks. Very cool. I love the Pacific Northwest. Well, I grew up there, so naturally I'm very fond of it. And I've got some uh, events planned out there, doing some research as well. And I'll be going back in the summertime, too. But from, from now on, it's a lot of road trip. You know, we were, we were trying to figure out what we were going to talk about this week. Obviously, so much going on. But, um, we, and we settled on, you know, sort of dialing it back to an earlier work of yours, Calling Upon Angels, How Angels Help Us in Daily Life. And I got to me thinking, you know, it must be kind of refreshing for you. Uh, I know angels are a big part of your early childhood, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, taking a break sort of from the... I guess the lower vibrations, if you will, when we're talking about the shadow people and jinn and evil spirits and, and hauntings and so forth, which is, you know, a lot of what I call spiritual dirty laundry. Uh, and, and, but getting an opportunity to talk about obviously higher vibrational entities like angels must be kind of a nice, it's almost like cleansing your sorbet or uh, sorry, cleansing your palate with a sorbet in between courses and a meal. That's a good way of putting it, and uh, angels have been very important to me throughout my whole life. And in the course of my work, I've seen them cycle through uh, phases of um, intense popularity, and then um, they kind of 
uh, you know, fall down into um, a lower prominence and they come back up again. It seems like whenever people feel that uh, their lives are in need of that spiritual cleansing, uh, they turn their attention to angels. And I have felt angels uh, of increasing significance to people for a number of years now. So um, I think that says something about the times we're in. Well, you mentioned growing up in Seattle. Tell me about your your childhood and your your fascination, your experience experiences with, with angels from a very early age. Yes, uh, I grew up almost like an only child. My uh, one sibling, a sister, is 12 years older than me. And so I spent a good deal of time by myself when I was a kid. And um, of course, I had friends and, and whatnot, but at home, I was playing by myself a lot. And uh, I think that, for for me, it it caused me to turn inward. And I had a um, you know very rich um, inner life. And angels were part of that. They were uh, some of my experiences when I was young. And I didn't see them. Uh, I actually didn't start seeing a whole lot in the spirit world until I was a little older, but I knew they were around me, and I could hear them. And uh, especially at night when I went to sleep, I felt that there was a circle of them around my bed, and they would sing me to sleep. And uh, oftentimes when I would be by myself uh, or we'd be on a road trip somewhere and I would be in the back seat of the car, um, I would tune into the angels. And I knew they were real, that they were not just um, uh, things that you saw on Christmas cards. And um, uh, that early beginning then developed into uh, a much fuller relationship with the angelic realm as I got older. Um, and one of the things that really puzzled me when I was young, uh, as I got as I got a little older, however, from that level of childhood, I was this is about when I was five, six, seven years old. Uh, I thought other people had the same experiences, and I was very puzzled that people don't. It's it's not a uniform playing field out there when it comes to the spirit realm and the paranormal. And that also um, made me very curious about what was going on. Why why did I have experiences with angels singing to me and other people did not? And I found that many people didn't even believe in angels. They were something in the Bible uh, that didn't apply to modern times. And um, matters like that just made me want to know why um, reality is different for so many people. Now, contrast or compare your angels with the angels that we know from from the Bible, and 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 then we can obviously we can discuss maybe some of the misconceptions about what angels are and what they look like. Uh, but but what what first give us a description of your angels, and then we will we'll compare them with the Bible. Uh, well. When um, when I had my first experiences, I considered angels to be very friendly. Uh, it was like they were my companions or guardians, and um, I, I really liked having that sense of, of um, presence around me. When I got older and I had some visual experiences of angels, they were pillars of light. I never saw them in um, a form with wings, and I found that to be the case with most experiencers. But again, uh, something that was very benevolent, very helpful. And this is in rather stark contrast to the biblical angel, at least in terms of 
the beings who interacted with humans because they were fierce and uh, stern and punishing. Uh, people were rather frightened of angels. Sure. I mean, if you were in the presence of, of an angel, an archangel, uh, Michael or Gabriel, I mean, you would collapse on the floor from fear, tremble in fear. Well, absolutely. And, and even uh, the Virgin Mary in the New Testament is rather rattled when the angel Gabriel comes to her to announce her pregnancy. Uh, because back then, people thought that angels just didn't show up to the average person unless God was unhappy with you. And uh, they considered angels to be exalted beings, messengers. Uh, they might have dealings with uh, certain elevated humans like prophets and uh, important heads of state, but the average person just wasn't going to experience an angel unless they were in trouble with God. And so there are, are many cases where angels do come to impart warnings and um, very stern instructions from God and, and even to do punishing. Uh, there are helpful angels, of course. For example, um, angels uh, appear to Joseph uh, in his dreams and and uh, tell him to take Mary and, and Jesus uh, away to um, to avoid persecution. And um, uh, Jacob has his dream of angels going up and down a ladder to heaven, and um, it has to do with uh, his um, his right to uh, to land. Uh, that this is a, a spiritual legacy of his. So th there are helpful instances, but by and large, angels are very remote to human beings. They're not around to provide comfort and support and guidance. That concept uh, developed much, much later. Well, yes, yeah, certainly you're right. In, 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 the, in the Bible, we have no inkling that we all have, for example, uh, a, a personal angel that's assigned to us, a guardian angel or what have you, uh, that's, that intervenes. Uh, when did that notion uh, start to take hold in, in, in popular culture, that, that we all have angels uh, and they're not these stern, uh, awe-inspiring uh, entities of the Old and New Testament? Well, there is some indication of the concept in the Bible. In Psalms, there's uh, a passage in which uh, God says, I will uh, set my angel in charge of you, uh, with, with the idea that uh, this angel is going to be protective and, and uh, a guardian of sorts. Uh, the angel isn't called a, a guardian, but it's, uh, the idea is there. And <clears throat> it really wasn't until um, much, much later, even on into the 20th century, that we had a significant concept of guardian angels, and uh, that was due largely to a couple of popes. It was Pope Pius XI um, talked about how he had a, a guardian angel who would serve as his diplomat, and that if he was in uh, negotiations with someone or he wanted to persuade someone to a particular point of view, he would consult his guardian angel and have his angel go talk to the guardian angel of the other person or people. And uh, so there would be um, some diplomacy going on in, in the angelic realm, and that's how a lot of things would get sorted out. Now, in earlier centuries, there, uh, there were stories of uh, people and their guardian angel, but 
um, the idea that the average person could have a guardian angel uh, really is is mostly a 20th century development. And then Pope Pius XII in 1950 issued an encyclical in which uh, he promoted the idea of guardian angels and that um, it was good to have a relationship with angels and uh, that it was beneficial to one's spiritual life. Uh, However, there was just this this idea that the guardian angel was a single angel and that um, this angel was with a person from birth to death and uh, one of the popes, and I'm, I'm not sure if it was Pope Pius XII or not, um, made a statement that, well, the average person only has one guardian angel, but important people, whoever they, they might be, didn't say who would be important, could have two guardian angels. And my feeling is from uh, just having been aware of angels around me my whole life and then interviewing many, many people about their experiences is that we have uh, a number, even many angels with us throughout our our life, Um, and that some angels do stay with us uh, for the entire course, Um, and there may be one angel that's a primary angel, Um, but we also have angels that come and go as we go through different stages in life and we have different needs, different daily life needs, different spiritual needs. All right, we'll pick up on that point when we come back, Rosemary. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us discussing her book, Calling Upon Angels. We'll talk about the Christian angelic hierarchy uh, and also get into some of the the first-hand encounters with angels uh, detailed in her book. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is uh, with us. And um, when did Calling Upon Angels uh, come out, Rosemary? It came out last year. And it's uh, an introductory book to the angelic realm. And it includes stories uh, that I have collected from my interviews over the years, some of my own personal experiences, uh, and uh, how angels uh, intervene with, with people in their daily affairs, how they can be recognized, how we can connect with them. We'll get into some of the first-hand experiences detailed in the book, um, uh, including a, a fascinating one with, uh, I believe he was an electrical worker. Uh, an angel saved his life. You identify him as Robert S. But I just want to uh, take a moment to talk about, this is something that fascinates me, the, uh, the angelic hierarchy. Um, because it's, it is rather involved and complicated. I mean, people may not be aware of. It's, it's not just the archangels and then everyone else. There are, there are spheres. Uh, the first sphere, second sphere, third sphere. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the hierarchy. Yes, in, uh, in our popular thought about angels, uh, they are organized into a hierarchy of nine levels. And actually, over the centuries, various mystics have come up with other organizational structures, uh, not limited to, to nine. There might be more or less. But the nine-level one has uh, become uh, part of Christian thought about angels, and that was largely because of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, in the uh, 13th century, he adopted this um, hierarchy that had been developed much, much earlier by a uh, a Greek named Pseudo-Dionysius. And uh, this Greek uh, might have also uh, been a Syrian. Uh, There's not too much known about him. But um, it's believed that he lived in around the 5th or 6th century. 
and was a theologian. He's called the Pseudo-Dionysius because um, he was often confused with the Dionysius that was uh, mentioned in the New Testament. But he conceived of this nine-level hierarchy of angels, and uh, it does um, make a lot of sense. Uh, Nine is a number of completion. We have uh, three tiers of three levels each. So it's it's a neat organization, and they go from the highest, the seraphim, down to the lowest, which is the angel, the being that most people are likely to encounter. And at each level, there is uh, a different um, uh, vibrational level of, of the angelic beings, different duties, different preoccupations, and all of them combined uh, concern the workings of the cosmos, from the affairs of Earth and uh, human beings and everything on the planet, uh, up to maintaining the highest vibration of love that emanates from the Godhead. And and so uh, we would have no dealings, likely, with the first sphere. These are the servants of God. These are, as you mentioned, the seraphim, the cherubim, the thrones. Uh, where do the archangels fit in? Which sphere are they? They are uh, next to the lowest, uh, the lowest rung on the hierarchy ladder is the angel, and then the archangels, and we consider them to be quite mighty beings. This would be St. Michael, that would be one. Uh, Gabriel would be another, Raphael. Uh, there are other archangels that are named in texts that are outside of the Bible. Uh, and these angels, the archangels, are concerned with the workings of earth and human beings, but on a higher level than than the average angel. Uh, They deal with uh, bigger powers, bigger pictures. Uh, They have a um, greater force and presence, and they have the ability to be in the presence of God. And then when you go up to the highest level, the seraphim, um, who uh, uh, his name, their name is associated with fire, um, and one interpretation of seraphim is carriers of warmth. They're very fiery beings, and they are of such high vibration that it is said that human beings can't even comprehend their presence. And were they to try to make themselves known to humans, they would have to step their energy down tremendously. Mm. And so angels at the very highest level, their influence trickles down through all the different levels uh, until it reaches a vibration that can be absorbed and comprehended by human beings. So the seraphim are uh, concerned with maintaining this uh, unconditional love of God. It's the vibration of creation that God sends out into the cosmos. And below them are the cherubim. These are uh, keepers of knowledge and wisdom. They were also said to be the guardians in um, paradise, in the Garden of Eden. So the 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 uh, even the archangels are down, as you say, near the 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 bottom rung, if I can use that an- analogy when we're talking about angels. But they are they are down near the bottom rung. I guess and that refers to sort of the vibrational uh, aspect as well, because we can uh, throughout history we have uh, had encounters with the archangels, and uh, they can intervene in in our in our lives. Now the angels that you saw as pillars of light as a child, uh, which. Which order of angels uh, were they? Where are they fitting in in the hierarchy, do you imagine? 
It's often hard to say because uh, when people have encounters with angels, sometimes the angels will identify themselves. And I have had encounters with the Archangel Uriel, um, which is uh, one of the archangels that is not mentioned in the Bible, is mentioned in texts outside of the Bible. Uh, And these beings were um, pillars of light, and their appearance was in response to various needs or situations that I was in. And so I would assume that they would be of the angel realm, you know, the the lowest order, the uh, beings that are most likely to intervene in the affairs of humans. And even then, Richard, the energy was so intense that, uh, and so bright that I could not look directly at them. Uh, I had to turn my face away. The light was just almost blinding in intensity. And it's really amazing if, if you consider that this is the lowest level of um, the angel realm and their energy is so intense that human beings uh, have a hard time being in, in their presence. Exactly. Uh, the book is Calling Upon Angels, How Angels Help Us in Daily Life. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my guest, and you can order this from her website, visionaryliving.com, visionaryliving.com, Calling Upon Angels. Now, I want to dive in here with a, uh, a first-hand uh, experiencer. Uh, Robert S., this electrical worker in Trenton, New Jersey, has uh, an encounter with an angel that, that uh, probably saved his life. Tell me about Robert S. Well, he was uh, working in a mill, and he accidentally grabbed hold of a high-voltage wire. It was well over 400 uh, volts, and uh, you know, that's, that's enough to potentially kill someone. And he could feel this electricity just uh, pounding through his body and this fear that he was going to die and, um, you know, immediately sort of sending out a, an unconscious prayer, you know, to God, I don't want to die. Um, and uh, as you know, when people grab hold of high-voltage wires, they can't let go. And um, uh, it's very dangerous to try to pull them off the wires because another person could be electrocuted as well. And almost uh, as soon as he said this prayer, he felt a pair of hands uh, grab his body around the waist and pull him free of the wire. And he thought that maybe a co-worker had uh, um, saved his life. But in fact, um, there was no person who pulled him off. Uh, Something, some force pulled him off the wire, and he had burn marks that resembled uh, the shape of of hands around his waist. And uh, he believes that an angel of God rescued him that day. Remarkable story. Remarkable. Uh, and there are others in the book. Uh, how about for you personally? Do you do you feel that uh, you were ever uh, saved from uh, uh, injury or illness by an angel? I've certainly had some close calls in cars uh, on the road that um, the, my ability to avoid a horrendous accident seemed miraculous to me, as though uh, something else was able to control the car for just a split second in order to avoid uh, a serious collision. I have not had some of the uh, kinds of experiences of of people in my book where they were uh, like Robert, you know, literally in a a life or death situation and uh, felt something mysterious rescue them. And, in fact, we call this phenomenon the mysterious stranger. Yes. Uh, 
because sometimes the, the angel does come in the form of a person, uh, and they they provide some uh, life-saving or problem-solving service, and then they immediately disappear. Well, sometimes, as you point out in the book, uh, these mysterious strangers come to test our character. Uh, of course, there's an account in uh, is it Genesis about Abraham, uh, you know, who, who welcomes these strangers and uh, is very hospitable to them. Uh, there's a famous icon, actually, we have one hanging in our house about this this encounter. Uh, but talk to me about uh, angels coming to test our character. You have a story in the book about that as well. Well, one of the stories I have, and it's it's such a sweet story, and uh, it involves a, a woman named Ruth who uh, didn't have very much money, and she uh, had to take care of her children. And uh, one day she was um, about to take her children out, and um, she sent them out to, to get in the car, and a man, a stranger, came to the door and uh, said he was hungry and he wanted some food. And um, she was you know, just kind of a bit distracted, didn't quite know what to do because she was one to leave with with her kids and she didn't have much food in the house at all. But she felt that she really had to help this man and so she fixed him a sandwich and a little bit of coffee with milk and uh, um, sent him on, on his way. And then she goes out to the car and the kids are saying, well, what took you so long? Uh, and she said, well, I, I had to, to uh, fix some food for that man who came to the door. And they said, what man? Now, in order for the man to walk up to the, the front door of the house, he would have had to walk past the car with the kids in it that was sitting in the driveway. And they had not seen this, this man. Uh, and so Ruth was very perplexed because this man just kind of disappeared um, and uh, she thought that perhaps God had sent an angel to to test her hospitality, um, test her kindness to a stranger, and her willingness to share what little she had in the pantry. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, and and I guess the lesson there is, you know, if for those of us who who believe in angels, and I certainly do, uh, is you never know when that that. Uh, that mysterious stranger. It could be the person who's at the uh, the traffic light as you're waiting to turn left. Who's uh, you know he's got that sign. Um, uh, you know, please help me. I'm hungry. Uh, or you know the person who arrives at your door, knocks on the door, and needs to use your phone, and uh, you're a little nervous and so forth. We we have to be open to that possibility that we're constantly having our characters tested, uh, perhaps by an angel. Have you ever found yourself in that position? Well, I think it does happen quite often, and yes, I've often been mindful of that myself when uh, I've been in situations where uh, someone who is a, a complete stranger has uh, asked me for something or, or needed assistance, and uh, y- you just never know. And, and in some cases, I think we will never know uh, whether that, uh, that individual was actually an angel but, um, you know, you mentioned the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, and that's really the prototype for entertaining strangers unaware, where the three angels come to Abraham and, and he sets a meal before them. He welcomes them with hospitality and sets a meal before them. And um, one of their messages is to, to tell uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah that they're going to have a child, even though uh, Sarah is well past childbearing age. 
And then two of them go off, and uh, this is one of the contradictions of angels and how impassive they can be in their duties to God. Uh, here they are in this rather kindly mission to Abraham, and the two of them go off and uh, lay waste to Sodom and Gomorrah because God has decided those cities should be destroyed. Uh, and all in a day's work for an angel, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. All right, we'll, when we come back, we'll talk about the other world contacts of Eddie Burks as we discuss angels with Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley calling upon angels. Uh, before we get to the... Uh, uh, our friend Eddie here in the book and uh, his otherworldly contacts, uh, Eddie Burks. Um, what are the uh, the signs? What what should we be on the lookout if? Uh, how can we recognize angels might may be near? Well, they will often uh, give us signs in the environment, and uh, the best way to to contact angels is through prayer and meditation every day. But <clears throat> quite often, when we've asked for spiritual help. Um, the answer doesn't come directly, it comes indirectly. And uh, so something that's meaningful to us, a synchronicity or a sign <clears throat> that has personal meaning to us in terms of our need is often a message from an angel. And it could be something like uh, hearing a song over the radio at just the right moment, uh, seeing a particular animal or bird, uh, seeing a sign in the clouds, uh, getting a certain um, letter uh, in in the mail or a card from someone. Many people get feathers that literally materialize in the air. And um, I just a, a couple of months ago uh, interviewed a, a man who had a collection of several dozen feathers that he said had materialized uh, whenever he was praying for an answer to uh, to a question. And uh, he always took it as a sign that the angel realm is around him all the time. All right. We, we just got a few minutes here, but I want to at least start this discussion, and perhaps we can continue it uh, after the next break. But I want to talk about while you were traveling and researching in England, and you traveled to Surrey, which is a wonderful part of the country, uh, and you met this, um, well, I, I guess he's a medium, um, Eddie Burks. And uh, I guess you were sort of, how, how did you find Eddie, first of all? Uh, I found Eddie through the College of Psychic Studies in London, and uh, it was when I was working on my first angel book, and uh, I took a trip to England to do some research on a variety of topics, and I asked the college um, uh, who they would recommend uh, to speak on the topic of angels, and they directed me to Eddie. And uh, I struck up a friendship with Eddie that lasted for many years uh, until his death a few years ago. He lived in Lincoln, which was north of London, and he had had his own psychic and spiritual ability uh, open up later in life. He discovered that he had uh, quite a bit of healing um, ability, and he performed healing on people. He did spirit releasement, helping souls cross over to the other side. He did paranormal investigations, and he had contact with angels. And uh, so I spent quite a bit of time with him um, about his philosophy of the spirit realm and um, our relationship with angels. 
And I had uh, a very interesting experience with him that uh, I talk about in some detail in Calling Upon Angels. I asked him to contact the angel realm for me. Now, this was back um, when um, I still had a lot to develop in my own relationship with angels. And um, uh, I wanted him to contact the angel realm for me and, and today I would just do it myself but I but I also wanted him to be a medium for me to get a message and uh, so Eddie said that he had never attempted to directly contact the angel realm he thought the energy was very intense but uh, he would give it a try and he went into uh, a, a light trance the energy in the room changed quite dramatically. The temperature started to rise in the room, and I could feel almost like a pressure uh, building. And uh, then he began to channel a message for me, and uh, I took it down as dictation. And the message really has stayed with me my entire life because the angels told me that um, many people consider them to be more exalted and uh, spiritually higher uh, than human beings. And he said um, that they were no closer to God than humans. They just tread a different path. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. Uh, It certainly uh, puts us in uh, a different relationship with angels, I would say more on an equal footing, and perhaps the way it, that's the way it should be, that we have a role to play in the scheme of things that is just as important as angels. And uh, they also said that um, my work with angels was very purposeful and that I should not reduce them in any way to suit human understanding, that is not trivialize them, but rather I should work to raise human understanding uh, to better perceive angels. And uh, while I think that people have to find angels on their own level, uh, one of the things that I really have not liked in modern popular culture is what I feel is a trivialization of angels. Uh, These are exalted beings that uh, we often perceive of them in a human-like way, but they, they're beings of energy. I, I agree. I've I got to jump in, Rosemary. Sorry. We'll, we'll pick up on that point on the other side. That's true, the trivialization of angels. We'll discuss in a moment. Rosemary Ellen Guiley calling upon angels. Back with more in a moment here on The Conspiracy Show. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal uh, investigator who joins us at this time every month. And uh, we are talking about a book uh, going back uh, to last year, Calling Upon Angels, available on her website, visionaryliving.com. Check out the bookstore. Um, closing in now on what? Almost 70 books, isn't it, Rosemary? Uh, well, I'm probably at least halfway there by now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now the, um, the the point that we were we want to pick up on during uh, just before the break we were talking about or one of the things that concerns you is and one of the messages that came through to you about uh, from the angels through Eddie Burks uh, was uh, you know not to trivialize angels to, to sort of make this your your work is to is to exalt them to help us to learn to understand um, that they need to be exalted and not trivialized how do you think we trivialize angels? 
I my feeling is that we've done it a lot in art. Uh, we've turned angels into um, too many cute little things, and like um, Cupid, like Cupid. Uh, yeah, like the Cupid and um, cute little kitty angels, and um, maybe that's how some people find their way to angels as something that's very friendly uh, in in appearance. But they're not meant to be um, personal pets of people. Uh, They are exalted beings. And they did emphasize to me that um, they uh, they bear the very essence of unconditional love. And uh, also that while they are available to help us and they must be asked for help, they're not here to solve all our problems. Um, They will provide guidance where they can, but uh, ultimately human beings do have to, um, to to find their way. And that's often difficult for some people to understand because on one hand we have these stories of angels stepping in doing these dramatic rescues, and then angels are saying, well, you know, we're not here to solve your problems. We'll, we'll help you, but you have to solve your own problems. And um, my feeling on that is that we are given these dramatic demonstrations from time to time as uh, door openers and faith builders. Um, these are how some people uh, come to the realization that uh, angels exist and there are these higher forces that connect us to the source of all being. So perhaps we need these dramatic demonstrations then to bolster our own faith and um turn increasingly uh, to uh, this intermediary spiritual help. I, I think another way that we trivialize them uh, is uh, some people assume that uh, angels are, uh, you know, the spirits of, uh, uh, of loved ones that have passed on and then become our guardian angels. But they are a separate entity. They are you know, created by God, but they are not human. Um, and, and, but a lot of people seem to think, well, my grandfather is my guardian angel. He passed over and now he's my angel. It doesn't work that way, does it? Uh, I believe not, Richard, and I do run into that uh, quite a bit. I'm often asked if the dead become angels. And my answer to that is they can be angel-like. Um, I do believe that um, especially immediate family members like a parent or a grandparent, they do seem to take on a guardianship or protective kind of role with some people and I think it varies from family to family and certainly a lot of it would depend on a choice made by someone who has passed over but they're not angels they're they're still human souls uh, acting in ways that we would uh, compare to angels and uh, angels are distinctly different from human beings and um, uh, whether or not they are immortal nobody knows uh, in many accounts of, of angels, there are descriptions of angels who have finite lifespans, even just for, for a day. And there are stories of God destroying angels uh, who displease him. Uh, so um, uh, they, they definitely have a different kind of existence than we do. Do you believe in the idea of, uh, as, a, as outlined in the Bible, uh, the idea of fallen angels? Well, we certainly have uh, demonic uh, beings, and according to the Bible, that's how demons came into being, is that one-third of the heavenly host got kicked out 
uh, with Lucifer or or opted to follow him when he fell to earth, and uh, that these fallen angels uh, were condemned to roam the earth, and uh, then they uh, they began tormenting people. And we have many stories uh, outside of the Bible, and a lot of them from Judaic uh, mysticism, that uh, there are angels who weren't particularly friendly to human beings. And not just because God gave them instructions to warn or discipline or punish, but actively worked against human beings to keep human beings out of paradise. And uh, so we we have these concepts of um, angels uh, having varying opinions of human beings, not always being our friends and guardians and, and protectors. And yet, uh, I do think that human beings have developed into a relationship with the angelic realm where, where we are allied with those angels who are benevolent uh, and favorably disposed toward us. And uh, the ones that aren't uh, may find other ways to, uh, to interfere with us. And it is quite possible that, that the beings we call demons came from the angelic realm. The uh, the modern-day UFO uh, phenomenon and, and all that entails, including the alien abduction uh, phenomenon or close encounters uh, with with um, uh, ETs, do you think that, there, that this may be understood in regards to the angelic realm? Uh, it's quite possible, and uh, I have had so many cases of um, people describing ET experiences that sound remarkably like angel experiences uh, that I have collected from other people and vice versa. And, uh, in fact, some years ago I did an informal experiment with uh, a psychologist in which we we took real accounts, people's um, anecdotal accounts um, of ETs and angels and, and took out the descriptors and then asked other people to identify uh, what the being was. And it's very subjective with the label that we put on our encounters with otherworldly beings. I think we attempt to identify and understand them as best we can. So we're going to draw upon our, our own background. And uh, recently, in the um, survey work that the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters has done, and I'm on the Board of Directors and Research Committee. Yes, we talked about that last month, yes. uh, We we have asked that question whether or not people think that their ET experiences have to do with the afterlife and with angels and near-death experiences. And uh, many of the respondents said yes. Uh, they did, that they thought that there was some relationship. They weren't necessarily certain what the relationship was, but they uh, they thought that there was an interconnection there between uh, these kinds of, of beings and encounters. I, I'm increasingly coming to believe uh, believe that, that, uh, that the UFO uh, uh, phenomena and the abduction phenomena may best be understood um, through the angelic realm. Do you remember seeing the, the footage, uh, I'm not sure if it was, it was released by NASA, uh, but it, it, I think it was taken from the International Space Station, and it showed two unidentified aerial craft, and they looked like they were f- 
they were in, engaged in some sort of a, a, a modern-day dogfight, like, uh, you know, World War II fighter planes. And, and I'm wondering, do you think that in the, in the, in the heavens, the fallen angels and uh, the other angels are engaged in some, some sort of battle? Well, in earlier centuries, uh, there were reports of people having visions of angel armies fighting in the sky, and uh, that would be the forces of light and darkness. And and I think I, you know uh, it's even forecast in the Book of Revelation that there would be, uh, you know, the angels would um, marshal up their armies to uh, battle the forces of darkness. And um, in earlier times, um, mysterious lights in the sky were likely to be interpreted as angels. So. Um, it's uh, if you go back to all of these experiences, you can certainly see common ground from earlier centuries to even modern experiences, and we've just changed our terminology for how we interpret it. So, what's really going on? Have um, have we been visited by ETs all along, and we used to call them angels, or are they angels, and now we're calling them ETs, or is it a little bit of both? Can we even separate the two? Right. Well, you know what? It, it it makes sense when you consider you have um, with alien abduction uh, experiencers, you have a certain percentage of them who who say it was a horrific, torturous uh, experience. Uh, they were absolutely uh, in fear for their lives. They were tortured. They were probed. They were uh, just you know horrific. Uh, and then you have the the other. Uh, experience, which is, uh, you know, they, they felt sort of an unconditional love and they, they, uh, you know, they were told to, uh, you know, to go out and, and try and help creation and, you know, the, the God is not pleased or the creator is not pleased with the, the, the state of the world and so forth. Uh, and I've always tried to, I've always struggled with these opposing views. But again, if we understand, as, as understand the experience in terms of the angelic realm, one, Encounter maybe with fallen angels and the other with the good guys. Well, it's quite likely, and I've always believed that there are multiple motives and agendas going on. That um, you know, human beings have no single purpose. Uh, we're not unified by any means, and and so uh, if you extrapolate that out to our encounters, we would have to be coming up against um, different. Agendas and, and motives with those beings as well. Absolutely. Just have about a minute left. Let's leave uh, on on um, the point about guardian angels. If one wanted to find out who their guardian angel or angels were, how, how, do, how does one go about it? The best thing to do is to meditate and uh, to ask to be in contact uh, with uh, one's guardian angel for that angel to make itself known and to ask for a name. And the name does not have to be a biblical name. I've got examples in the book where um, more common names have been given. Uh, be aware of information that will come spontaneously into thought because angels will impress information on thought and to also a sense of a presence around you. And um, and then also ask for signs. And uh, over over the course of time, if you keep at it, uh, you will get answers and uh, get some information about the angel, your guardian angel, and perhaps other angels around you. Can you share with us uh, the name of one of your guardian angels, or is that personal? Uh, well, one of them is Silver Lady, 
and uh, that's because that's what she looks like. Mm. And uh, she doesn't have a personal name like we do, but her name is more of a descriptor. And uh, she was very instrumental in some of my major spiritual experiences uh, in the 1980s, and she's still around. Rosemary, I've enjoyed this immensely. It's it's good to talk to you about angels. Well, thank you, Richard. I have, too. It's one of the most important connections human beings can make. Absolutely. Calling Upon Angels, and you can pick up a copy at VisionaryLiving.com. Until next time, Rosemary, thank you. Thank you, Richard. All right, that's it for us. We're about to dim the lights, but before we do, let me thank my intrepid uh, technical producer, Ian Robertson, uh, my story producer, Albert Vinzel, my intern, Jonathan Franz, who's also helpful. Uh, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. <laughs>